Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. Today I'm refiling two bills to eliminate disparities that Puerto Rico faces under the federal Medicare program. At the outset, I want to make clear that the only reason that I have to introduce these bills is because Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. I look forward to the day when Puerto Rico becomes a U.S. state, when it is automatically treated fairly under federal programs, and when the island's elected officials no longer need to implore Congress to treat treat our constituents the same as their fellow American citizens. That is why, six weeks ago, I introduced legislation that would provide for Puerto Rico's admission as a state once a majority of island voters affirm their desire for statehood in a federally sponsored vote. The bill already has 80 co-sponsors and strong bipartisan support. The first bill I'm filing today involves Medicare Part A, which covers inpatient hospital services. The federal government reimburses hospitals who admit Medicare patients under a system known as the inpatient prospective payment system. The payment made to the hospital is intended to cover the operating and capital costs that a hospital incurs in furnishing care. Each hospital is paid a base rate, which can then be adjusted upwards based on a variety of factors. Each, every hospital in the state, whether in New York City or rural Alaska, is paid the same base rate, about $5,870. In Puerto Rico, however, hospitals are paid a base rate that is just over $5,000, about 14% lower than the base rate for stateside hospitals. This adversely affects patient care in Puerto Rico and the financial stability of island hospitals. Welcome in tonight, ladies and gentlemen of America. If you're wondering where you have arrived at or to, whichever sounds proper, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and tonight we take a sincere look into Congressman Pierre Luisi. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this is a man that is doing things in our nation's capital, and I'll tell you, he represents Puerto Rico and the population of 3.5 million people, and I'll tell you what, folks, the burden on one's shoulders cannot possibly get heavier than that. Tonight, we take a trip. Hang on to your seats. Buckle in as we at AJC Radio take a trip to Puerto Rico. Folks, stand by. AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill starts right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Barrett. Lisa is out tonight, but I'll tell you, uh, she's getting a little healthier for us, and uh, our thoughts are with her as well. But, folks, I'll tell you what, tonight's going to be a good one as we continue the trend of shining the light here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you what, Congressman Pierre Luisi Cliff is doing some things 
we had an opportunity to interview him, myself and Lisa, and also Cliff uh, was actually ran into him in Washington uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'll tell you, your impressions, Cliff, of this man, he made another impression on us a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I mean, you, you look at what he has to do. He, in essence, has the burden of representing an entire country uh, of the island of Puerto Rico on his shoulders. I mean, and to, you know, maintain his composure, maintain his stance in Congress saying, hey, you know, we have some things going on in Puerto Rico that, and, and I'm the only one representing them, you know, in, in every state of, uh, of in America, you have, you know, several congressmen, congresswomen for, representing each state. He bears that burden himself. And, uh, you know, he does a tremendous job at representing the people of Puerto Rico and, and, uh, and handling that burden. No, absolutely. And, uh, Dennis, you've had an opportunity to uh, read over some of his material. Uh, you cannot help but have respect for this man. And it's very um, saddening, if you will, of the conditions of Puerto Rico, the debt, the health care issues. Uh, you're going to hear that interview only on AJC Radio, exclusive interview uh, with us uh, Dennis, your thoughts of the congressman as we have uh, seen a little bit, and we're going to get into that tonight, his push for the people of Puerto Rico, who mean a lot to the United States as well. Yeah, what an awesome job. Uh, just looking at his uh, profile and uh, listening to you guys, I tell you, uh, that's a burden. I mean, to try to uh, get, the, get the United States of America to truly recognize uh, Puerto Rico as a task in itself, and, and he's the only one doing it, I tell you. I commend him, and I believe that uh, the, the, with all the uh, laws that he's trying to push, uh, you know, through Congress uh, to make something happen for Puerto Rico, some good things going to come out of it. And that's going to be coming uh, coming to us. Dennis Reed, the disclaimer for our people. Uh, we are not attorneys, and a just cause does not provide legal advice. Uh, please contact your personal legal advisor for legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. We appreciate it. And thank you for that. We appreciate that, Dennis. And uh, this is going to be, again, a very, very good program. If you want to feel free to get involved, 347-838-8976. And we're going to have an opportunity to uh, discuss this tonight uh, as we get ready uh, to get on with this show and this spotlight on Capitol Hill. AJC Radio would like to take a moment to bid farewell to the artist known as Prince, who passed away today at the age of 57. Uh, and it's been all over the networks, all over the news. Uh, our thoughts and condolences go out to his family, uh, his friends. Anytime you lose someone, uh, it's a tough loss. And uh, the country and a lot of people are grieving the loss of Prince, uh, known as an artist. Uh, CNN, of course. Uh, but I learned today that Prince was a very serious humanitarian uh, that did a lot for a lot of the issues that we actually discuss on this program. I learned that today, uh, but he was very uh, – he was to the point where he did not discuss all of his outreach, the things that he had attempted to do to try to change. Uh, one comment was made by Van Jones on CNN, I guess was a personal friend and business uh, person with him, Right. Uh, talked about all of the things and all of the outreach and all of the stuff that he did – humanitarianly, uh, rather, in this country, down with Black Lives Matter, down with all the things that we talk about. Mike Brown and, and Eric Gardner, he was, he was involved with things that we knew nothing about. So 
again, uh, bid, we bid him farewell tonight at the age of 57, uh, has left us. So uh, to his family, again, our prayers and our thoughts are with them, and that's from the entire AJC radio team, uh, and uh, we appreciate that. Um, also in the news right now, uh, we had an opportunity uh, to talk about uh, this a couple of weeks ago uh, in regards to, I believe it was the young man for bringing up Black Lives That Matter, uh, the young man that had uh, taken his life. He was one of the leaders of, of Black Lives That Matter um, and uh, took his own life as a result of being fed up with the system. But he said he was trying to make a point um, to say, look, we're here to fight. But it, the, the, the ironic, it costs you your life. Wow. Uh, that's something America has to take a look at. We have a right to protest and to fight against those things that are not right. We have that right. But we have to ask ourselves the question, if it pushed this young man to take his life in order to prove a point that he was going to continue, and if it cost him his life, uh, then that's all that matters. Dennis, when you hear something like that, it says basically here, uh, the activist fatally shot himself on the steps um, of the Ohio State House. That's where he took his life. Now, that, didn't, that happened, uh, I believe, a few weeks ago. Uh, not a few weeks ago, but uh, I think a couple of months back. But people have been talking about it right. as the Black Lives Movement uh, continues to uh, be something that people are talking about. Dennis, when you hear that, that all the issues that we discuss on this program are co- basically come to light and are very, very important. Exactly. Uh, what cost is it uh, that something like this would happen to a young man who is fighting for justice? And, and what I get out of it is that, you know, you, you, you're screaming and you're yelling. Uh, I truly believe that the more people you get together, the louder the scream will be. But uh, I, I think he felt that he was screaming and yelling and trying to get this point across about the injustices uh, to the uh, people, to the people. Of color, you know, right? And uh, he felt that the only way that he could get other people involved was to, to take his life, and that's sad. And and you would think that you know that that would even push the uh, the move toward you know Black Lives Matter even more, right? Because we saw this man take his own life on on the steps. But it, it's sad to say. I mean, do we really feel that that's the that's where we got to go? In order, order to, to get, get heard. people to say, you know, I'm jumping on board. I'm going to help. I mean, it's so sad. I say this over and over again. Why do we wait until it's at our doorstep or in our home or it affects our daughters, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, before we finally say, you know what? You're right. Black lives does matter. And we'll, we'll add one to it. People can say that I oppose the movement. Well, all lives that matter, absolutely. Every life matters. However, uh, over the last several months in the United States, we have seen the fact, the thought or the perception that black lives don't matter. Exactly. Uh, let's call it what it is. We understand all lives matter. doesn't matter whether you're black, white, red, yellow, whatever, blue, whatever you are. But our black kids are dying in the streets of America. And at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like somebody having a fire in their house and somebody wants to bring up flooding. We're talking about the fire right now. That's the, right. That's, <laughs> the fire is blazing. We're not talking about the flood right. that you had, uh, you know, last winter. It's right. midsummer. Everything's dry. 
the, the city's on fire. We need to deal with that. Absolutely. And the, the thing that, uh, you know, about that young man's death is that, like Denzel was saying, why, did this, why does it have to come to this to, uh, to bring attention to an issue that is being, you know, that, that's being talked about all the time? The, you know, the protests happened, uh, some of them violent, some of them nonviolent, but why does it have to come to the point of a young man taking his life until, you know, before it's like, okay, we need some attention. We need to get this issue dealt with. And like you said, Lamont, you know, people can say, well, all lives matter. Well, that's true. But you don't see the, you don't see young white men getting shot down in the street and nobody does anything about it. You don't see a police officer that takes the life of uh, somebody in suburbia and you can't even get an indictment. You can't even get a charge brought against that that officer. That is not what's being seen. And the sad part is that if it, if this wasn't the age of cell phones and and uh, oh we uh, wouldn't and, see it yet. right and, and people can post a video right now, you wouldn't even see it because it happened all the way back in the civil rights movement. Now it's just being exposed. It's being brought to the entire America instantly. It's being brought to the entire world, and people are crying out saying, "This is not." humane in America quit asking other countries about their humanitarian issues and about their human rights issues when you, when you gun down young men in the street and nothing happens to the officer who did it. No, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, again, uh, you can read more about that at any, any, any news uh, outlet, if you will, TV, media. Uh, this is some issues that we have to address as a country. Uh, other news, other information in the news today, Mike Glasgow has been quick to admit that there are things he could have done differently. What are we talking about? There have been charges brought against this man uh, in, uh, in regards to the Flint issue, the Flint crisis, the water issue. States here that Flint's Michigan City Utilities Manager was among the first to be criminally charged for his role in water crisis that has deprived the city of clean drinking water for two years. Prosecutors say that he altered a water quality report that could have raised red flags about the lead issues in Flint months before it became public. He's accused of neglect of duty and tampering with evidence, both felonies that could lead to prison time. Uh, And he states here, I was a key figure in this. I am operating the treatment plant and seeing some of the sampling, he told CNN in March before the charges were ever filed. Uh, But Glasgow said that he had always tried to do the right thing, raising concerns to those above him at the city and state level, but he said he felt he did not have the authority to override the decisions that eventually led to Flint's toxic water. Uh, that sounds like a, b- a bunch of insane <laughs> excuses. Uh, you're either going to do the right thing or you're not. When children are drinking your water that looks like orange Kool-Aid, there's an indication that it's not water. Exactly. Yeah, how, do, how, how was it not brought to your attention in time? When you, you, you're passing out truckloads of gray bottled water. How, do, how is that? Yo, I didn't get this in time. You... When they loaded that truck, this is bottled water. It's not like this is in a tanker. And they're like, oh, when we turned the hose on, there must, have been, there must have been something in the tanker. It came out great. This is in bottles. Well, the crazy part, Cliff, the water I saw looked more like apple juice. That is no, that is no exaggeration. How in the world do you sit back and keep apple juice-looking water and think, oh, well, maybe we don't have a toxic problem here? Insanity. And he goes on to say, I was born and raised here in Flint. I would never do anything to hurt this city or its citizens, he said. And that's why I remain here to try to help clean up this issue. In hindsight, you replay this in your mind as time goes on. He said, I should have questioned some of the direction we were receiving. 
Glasgow, who spent much of his career in Flint's water plant, said he felt at the time that he didn't have the authority to make those changes. He was following orders. I'll tell you what, folks, this is not a few good men and a code red. You actually had an opportunity to do the right thing, and you chose not to. Uh, unbelievable. Hopefully justice prevails in that situation uh, where people, again, as we talk on this show, are held accountable. You're talking about innocent children drinking water that can kill you. Dennis, your thoughts on this huge issue right now? It's just so it's so crazy. Uh, uh, but believe it or not, there will be a fall guy. Uh, someone, someone's going to pay for this. Not everyone that should pay for this is going to pay, but someone will. But it's just a tragedy that, you know, it's, it was taken like it, it was like it was nothing. It was like, okay, hey, at least you got water. <laughs> be happy with that. And then and then to try to cover it up and then to try to excuse it away, uh, come on. It's time out. And, again, I'm so glad that the people of Flint said, no, we're not going to take this. We're going to raise the flag. We're going to get as many people involved. And now look what we got. We got some indictments coming down. So and you know what? the right thing. Need a little more, hopefully, than indictments. That's the first step. Hopefully justice prevails uh, in our trips to Washington, our nation's capital, uh, there were many hearings going on about Flint, and people from Flint were there, and they were protesting outside of the the, uh, the Senate and House buildings, uh, saying, look, our voices must, must, must be heard. Be. I saw a young girl that said, Flint lives matter. Uh, I'll tell you what, it takes just a moment of indiscretion, a moment of bad decision-making, to find yourself in a situation uh, that has put the lives of innocent Americans at risk. And this was about big money. Uh, Cliff, we talked earlier in regards to the money. And I, I believe Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee made that point that there was plenty of money there for them to do the right thing. They simply chose not to. That's right. They had the money there. It was up to the governor to say, go ahead, spend it to get the quality of the water up to what the spec should be to drinkable. I mean, this is toxic water. The money was there in hand. They would not do the inspections. And uh, so that so that them they could do the treatment of the water the way they need to. The money was there, and that is the thing that gets you is that you had funding, you had everything that you needed to to ensure that this problem never happened. But instead, you allowed contaminated water to reach the children, and then you say, "Oh well, I I didn't know what was going on." That is just a lie, and and I I hope personally that the governor is gone, that his whole cabinet well, is gone. Well, and, and and one of the lady uh, in defense to a point to Mr. Glasgow, uh, makes this statement. Leanne Walters, the Flint mother turned advocate who prosecutors listed as the victim in the charging of documents, told CNN that Glasgow was the one of the only city workers in Flint. Think about that statement. The only city workers in Flint who helped her when she discovered dangerously high levels of lead in her water. And she goes on to say, I quote, I made it really clear Mike Glasgow was the only person who was helping us from the city, uh, and that's, that was her statement. And it, that's a, that's a horror, horrific situation with all the city workers. And, I, look, Russell, responsibility starts at the governor's office, uh, who chose. And, I, and uh, Cliff, we had the opportunity to hear some of those hearings uh, uh, about Flint, at least I did. And I'll tell you, they were making uh, – they were not making it easy on the governor of, the, of, uh, of Flint. Uh, in regards to this type of excuse, they stated they were fed up with his excuses. It didn't matter. And again, when children are involved, uh, you have to have somewhat of a human conscience to say, 
I don't care what the job is, I will not be responsible for endangering the lives of children in this country. Uh, it's completely unacceptable. Dennis, you have a thought on that? Uh, it's just amazing. And then you think about, you know, the area in which it took place. I tell you something about, uh, you know, the, the lack of concern for our, 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 our rural areas that, you know, where there's not, you know, rich people or, or people with, you know, with a lot of money. And it's just the separation is how different areas are treated. And, and, you know, we got to be real. So, and that's my thought. Well, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we're going to ask that you don't go anywhere. If you have to get up for a moment, do it now. Because I'll tell you on the way, on the, on the, uh, the call back after the break, I'll tell you, we'll begin to shine the light, spotlight, if you will, on Congressman Pedro Apiluisi. He'll be uh, on this show, his exclusive interview with AJC Radio, as we begin to shine a light on a man with the burden of 3.5 million people on his shoulders from Puerto Rico. I'll tell you right now, he's doing some things, and he's walking tall. We'll be back with the spotlight on Congressman Pedro Pieloisi right after this. Don't go nowhere. We're coming right back. This is AJC Radio, spotlight on Capitol Hill, Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 855-529-4252 that is a just cause and we fight for justice again call a just cause today don't delay call 1-855-529-4252 it is time and I say high time that we take America's incarceration seriously won't you join us? Call today. In Delaware County, more than 200 lives have been saved from an opioid overdose by police with the use of naloxone. I am District Attorney Jack Whalen. I, along with Delaware County Council, invite you to be part of the solution to the drug overdose epidemic by bringing your unused and expired medications to Rose Tree Park on Saturday, April 23rd from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Join me at Community Day and enjoy live music, free food, and family activities while helping to make our community drug-free. Community Day is brought to you by the Heroin Task Force and Partners for Success Coalition and funded by the Delaware County Office of Behavioral Health Division of Drug and Alcohol Programs. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? 
If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America, coming to you live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, AJC Radio. The temperature right now, folks, you're talking about springtime fever, 66 degrees, mostly sunny today. Los Angeles, 76 and sunny, and in our nation's capital, 77, little clouds, little sunshine mix, and in New York City, 70 degrees and sunny. And I'll tell you, it's, it's refreshing to tell some higher temperatures as we have launched into spring here across the nation. And we thank you for joining us tonight. If you want to join in this conversation tonight, this spotlight on Capitol Hill on Congressman Pedro uh, Pierluisi, uh, you'll have an opportunity to do that. That number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. And we're coming right to that exclusive interview, interview we're going to bring, with you to bring to you tonight. You do not want to miss that. Uh, but something was brought to our attention in studio moments ago uh, regarding Elliot Williams, the gentleman clip that we had uh, did a show on uh, our citizens dying in custody. And this particular uh, gentleman, Elliot Williams, was a veteran of the Iraqi war, gave his life, uh, gave his service to the United States of America Armed Services Cliff. Tell the people what we have found out about this story before we go into spotlight. Yes, there is an article that is out about uh, basically the report that the officers did uh, about the situation that happened. There's also a video inside the jailhouse where most of this is captured on video where Mr. William is not standing up. He's not moving. He's crying for help. He's telling them, I can't move my leg. I mean, this man has a broken neck. He, he's in there, and he has uh, he has a history of mental issues. They they're he's on the floor. He's saying, "I need some water. Somebody, please help me." They put water out uh, past his reach and tell him, "You can get up and get it." His his uh, then they take him. They put his limp body in the shower, face down, and he's in the shower screaming, "Somebody help me!" And and the whole time, all they're saying, he's faking his face. His father tries to call him. To say, I need to talk to my son. You guys don't understand. He has some mental issues. He, we need to talk to him so that he understands that we're still out of form. They denied him visitation because of, uh, of, of his son. So they said, well, he's acting up, so he can't have any visitors. Telling, and then tell, told his father, now this is the mental health worker 
tells his father he's acting like he's paralyzed, but we know he's not. This wow. man was in agony for five days and then eventually ended up dying. Wow. I mean, this is this is sick. And the thing is, he got arrested for basically he had a he had a mental breakdown in the hotel lobby. They called the police at the hotel because right. they didn't know what was going on. And uh, basically, at that point, his only crime was a misdemeanor obstruction because they didn't know what was what was happening. The police they arrested him. And almost six days, never took him to the hospital. Like I said, with a broke neck, they threw food at him. They made fun of him in the cell. And it, uh, what the what the uh, the Williams family tells the the Daily Beast, who wrote this story, says you wouldn't do that to an animal or any other living thing. But they did this to a man, to a veteran Absolutely. who served in the armed forces for our country. This is sick and horrific. They're taking it to trial as a civil case. I hope that. Every officer uh, pays with their job, with their career, with everything that they can. And the the uh, firm that operated the mental health is called the Correctional Healthcare Management. Now they settled out of court two years ago, but the, the county didn't. The county of Tulsa, they're the ones who uh, who are be, being taken to court. And this is this is sick. Go out there to the Daily Beast. Um, you know, look it up. Veteran. Uh, it, it's titled "Cops Taunted Black Veteran as He Died." Read that story and, uh, you know, leave a comment. We give condolences to his family, especially wow. after finding out horrific information like this. And they actually, unfortunately, Cliff, have to relive this nightmare. And to know, and they said another officer saw him laying in the shower screaming, somebody help me, please. Face down in a concrete shower. And they wouldn't do anything. They did nothing to aid this so man. So he's faking being paralyzed. And a broken neck for five days. Wouldn't take him to the hospital to at least have him checked. Five days, you're faking being paralyzed. How do you do that? How is that even possible? It's unbelievable. We're gonna give it. We're gonna send out a plea to reach out uh, to the family members of Mr. Williams. If you want to contact us, we'd love to bring you on this show to fight and plea for justice uh, for Mr. Williams, a veteran who gave his service to this country. Call eight five 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 two nine four two five two. That's 855-529-4252, extension 710. And we'd love to hear from you to get your thoughts of whatever we can do to help you in this process. And uh, our condolences, our deepest condolences are with you in this time of grief and reliving this nightmare that should have never happened in this country. This is unbelievable. Uh, We switch gears on you now. We've been talking about a representative there in Congress, uh, Congressman Pedro uh, Perluisi. Uh, from Puerto Rico. He's the representative of Puerto Rico, uh, doing some great things uh, uh, there uh, for the people of Puerto Rico, fighting in the Congress um, to do some things and to bring some relief and human relief, if you will, to the Puerto Rican people um, who are part of the United States. And uh, we're going to bring the exclusive interview uh, with you here in a moment. But when you think about what he's doing um, says he's been uh, has been Puerto Rico's sole member of Congress, known as the resident commissioner since January of 2009. He represents 3.5 million U.S. citizens. Keep that uh, statement in your mind. Not 3.5 illegal aliens, whatever you want to call them. 3.5 million United States citizens, the most of any member of the United States House of Representatives. 
No one has the number of people he is, they are responsible for on the level that Congressman uh, Pierre Luisi is, is responsible for. Uh, in the current 114th Congress, Congressman uh, Pierre Luisi is a member of two com- committees. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee and is a member of the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security, and Investigations, and the Subcommittee on Immigration and Border Security. He also serves as the House Natural Resources Committee and is a member of the Subcommittee on Indian, Insular, and Alaska Native Affairs and the Subcommittee on Federal Lands. Uh, Sounds like, Dennis, he's a little busy up there on the Hill. Your thoughts? Oh, very busy. That's That's a lot... That's a lot going on for uh, one congressman, and I tell you, you alluded earlier how you know most state got most states got at least two congressmen, and you know, and plus senators. And but I tell you, uh, he's, he's, it looks like he's trying to do do what he needs to do to help his country, and hopefully, you know, everybody on the uh, United States side will get on board and treat him the way they should be treated. Absolutely, and again, I, I said keep that in your mind. He represents 3.5 million United States citizens. Enough said with that. Let's go to the interview that we had some weeks ago with the congressman. You don't want to miss it. Buckle in. Good afternoon, Congressman. How are you today? Fine, thanks. Uh, Pleasure to have you. Uh, I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart. We are uh, part of AJC Radio and Just Calls. We appreciate you taking time to uh, talk with us today as we... Uh, review and, and shine the light on our new segment called Spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, where we have the opportunity to shine uh, the light on members of Congress in a very positive way uh, in what they're doing uh, on Capitol Hill. We appreciate you taking some time with us today. Thank you so much. And I want to say, do you pronounce your name, Congressman Paralusi? Is that correct? Louis? Is that right? <laughs> Pierre Luisi. Pierre Luisi. Pierre, like Pierre, Pierre and then Luisi. It's Pierre Louis. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure we uh, give you the up. I'll pronounce it for you, Lamont, because you'll that. miss it. <laughs> uh, no, he said Pierre Luisi. Pierre Luisi. Pierre Luisi. Pierre Luisi. Yeah. Like Pierre Cardin. Yeah, like Pierre Cardin, but Pierre and then Luisi. Pierre Luisi. Gotcha. <laughs> Thanks, Congressman. Give that up for us. We appreciate that. Um and I will get to the point, Congressman. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us tonight. Our objective here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill uh, is to shine the light in a very positive way uh, that we believe our elected officials uh, don't get the fairness that they should receive or the exposure of what they are doing to make things happen. And uh, thus, we started this initiative, Lisa, I believe a year ago in yeah. June. It'll be two years, right, in June? Yeah, we're approaching two years. Approaching two years, and we have... Uh, talked to many of your colleagues up there on Capitol Hill. We've been in Washington uh, 42, 43 times in the last year and a half or so, uh, and we've had a chance to actually interview folks there live uh, in Washington as well as what you're doing today, calling in and doing these interviews, and we're having an awesome response from our listeners. So, again, thank you for joining us today. Congressman, we do show that you are part of the Judiciary Committee in Congress, and uh, first question I'd like to ask you, we are in an election year. Everything is really out there right now as far as candidates and people are talking, people are wondering, and the American people are at a point to a point of uncertainty of who will occupy the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue as well as the seats in Congress that will be coming up. As we approach uh, the challenges that face us this year in the transition of power, 
What are the key things that need to happen in Washington as we prepare America for such a transition? Well, it's very important that uh, our voters are educated on the, their options, that they familiarize themselves with um, all of the candidates and their ideas, solutions, proposals. Um, it's also key that we have a high turnout. That's the way democracy works. It all depends on the vote. And so we should all be promoting um, high participation in the, in the upcoming primaries and elections. Um, in my case, I'm always keeping an eye for my constituents, the American citizens of Puerto Rico. Yes. So um, I will be um, supporting uh, the one that I believe will be a friend of Puerto Rico and will be um, supporting us um, in our quest for equal and fair treatment uh, for all Puerto Ricans, particularly the ones residing um, on the island. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that's critically important. Um, and we find ourselves in a very uh, serious situation as we have had the opportunity to meet with members of the judiciary as well as the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, um, uh, Congressman uh, Butterfield, the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, was giving us some insight on the challenges dealing with criminal justice reform. Uh, these things in, in, in our country right now is a very, very hot topic, uh, over-criminalization, uh, uh, mass incarceration, uh, no real plan to fix those things. But people on the, on the Hill that we have talked to are looking earnestly to do that, to bring about those changes. As you observe our judicial system in this country and some of the challenges that we face, uh, what is your uh, what are your thoughts on the current state of the criminal justice system in America right now, given the outcry for justice in our country right now? Well, one thing that immediately comes to mind is uh, the need for adequate legal counsel for all, particularly low-income um, minority um, defendants in the system. Um, we sh Congress should be uh, supporting. Um, entities like in the case in, in Puerto Rico is the uh, Office of Legal Assistance, you know, the public defenders uh, throughout the nation, um, because otherwise um, um, the system is not fair. Uh, we need to make sure that the system uh, treats uh, all those who uh, are investigated and prosecuted fairly and that they all have uh, the same rights. Um, uh, once the case is over with, and once you 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 have uh, a sentence, and somebody losing uh, his or her freedom, then it is our duty to make sure that our prison system uh, works well at all levels. Uh, we are a civilized country, and we should um, uh, do all we can um, so that um, there's punishment, but there's also rehabilitation. It's a balance. There yeah. has to be some re retribution, but you need to make sure that those who we incarcerate um, um, not only pay for their crimes, but are um, ready to come back to the to freedom, to, to the society, and contribute to the collective well-being. 
Um, so that's that's another concern that I have. Uh, one specific concern is the way we treat drug users in America. We have to do much better um, at the education and preventive uh, stage of the issue, but also uh, once we um, have to deal with uh, drug addiction, drug addiction and 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 and, and, and itself, uh, we need to make sure that we fund uh, those programs well enough so that uh, these individuals who simply need help, they need counseling, they need uh, medical assistance, um, can uh, overcome their addictions and um, rejoin our society uh, on a productive basis. No, absolutely. And uh, we commend uh, President Obama, who has taken some steps that no other president has done uh, in going to facilities, uh, prison facilities in this country, and speaking to the American people that we are a better nation than what we have demonstrated in the criminal justice system. Um, and the steps he's taken, I believe, have been very much admired uh, because I don't know of other sitting president that actually uh, took the time to go into solitary confinement, to go into prisons, what they call the shoe or the hole, and to talk to inmates about their concerns and where they are, I think it speaks to your point uh, that you just made, and, and uh, that's definitely a true point. Congressman, we are at a point uh, or at a crossroad of decision in America right now, given the community and police relationships across this country. Uh, in the last year, uh, all of the tragedies, the loss of life, uh, the movement Black Lives Matter, Minority Lives Matter, uh, the, that have been showing racial disparities in our criminal justice system, uh, I believe has somehow trickled into our courtrooms and judges now have become racially despairingly, if you will, in treating uh, minorities. Uh, and that's a big problem. What are your thoughts, Congressman, on, number one, healing the community and police relationship in our society right now, which is at a very significant racial divide right now in this country. Uh, how do we address that issue? And then how do we regain that trust? Uh, and how do we take those steps of healing that is so desperately needed right now in this country being really racially divided uh, very clearly right now in this country? Yeah. It, uh, to me, it all starts with promoting diversity um, everywhere, uh, including in the police forces all over America, in the judicial system, and, and so on. Um, our country is, is diverse, and we should make sure that um, all of its institutions reflect the composition of our country, the true composition of our country. Um, apart from that, we should make sure that um, our police forces are well-trained throughout the nation, that uh, there's no profiling in any way or fashion, in enforcing the law. Um, the looks, the, in my case, for example, my accent, um, the way you, you behave, your demeanor, shouldn't be um, relevant. Uh, we should all be treated with respect. Um, uh, we should all um, uh, recognize that uh, that diversity makes our, 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 our country stronger. And uh, every time 
that you have an issue of uh, police abuse, excessive use of force, um, and, 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 and race is somehow, is somehow involved, uh, we have to act, and we have to act with a lot of determination um, so that uh, it, it doesn't happen uh, again, so that we, there's a deterrent um, factor um, in, in the way we handle it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, in, in the case of Puerto Rico, um, the, the U.S. Justice Department um, entered into a consent decree with the police of Puerto Rico, the government of Puerto Rico, to make sure that um, uh, the police does better, that it, has, it follows the adequate protocols, in the use of force, and so on, that it, it, it deals with, the, for example, the immigrant Dominican community in a fair way. So I know, I mean, that's happening in my turf, but it should happen elsewhere. Um, sure, the, sure. the federal government, the U.S. Department of Justice, the Civil Rights Division should be uh, monitoring um, state, you know, police forces throughout America at all levels, state, county, city, municipal, what have you. Uh, and whenever we see or uh, any, any kind of... Uh, lack of civility or prejudice, um, we should be uh, dealing with it forcefully and, 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 and professionally. Good point on that, Congressman. Lisa? Yes, Congressman. Uh, I did have a question for you in regards to uh, the issues with um, health care. And I know you had been fighting for uh, the reimbursement rates for uh, Medicare and Medicaid in Puerto Rico. And I wanted to find out, do you feel like the, uh, the 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 plan that the president put in place right now is that is that helping with what you what you were trying to do for the for the citizens of Puerto Rico, or do you feel like it was it was doing the opposite? Well, this is a lifelong quest for me. Um, I'm always fighting for equal and fair treatment for the American citizens of Puerto Rico. Um, unfortunately, when you live in a territory, you become an afterthought for the rest of the nation. Uh, that means that um, uh, we do not get the same deal in federal programs, in key federal programs, uh, as the, the, the residents of the states do. And it makes no sense because we're American citizens. My constituents can hop on a plane from one day to the next if they do not find adequate health care back home or if they don't find uh, a decent job or... Uh, uh, adequate education opportunities, just to just give some examples. Now, in the health care area, Puerto Rico has been suffering um, huge disparities in both um, Medicaid and Medicare. In the Medicaid program, uh, the funding we get doesn't even get to half of what we would be getting if we were treated like a state. And again, it makes no sense. You're talking about American citizens, uh, you know, needing care. And uh, at the very least, we should be uh, giving Puerto Rico the same treatment that um, we give the states under the Medicaid program uh, for people falling below the poverty level, the federal poverty level. That is my proposal. The president uh, included it. Uh, included my bill in his budget petition to Congress, and I'll fight for it. 
um, because uh, it, it, it makes sense. It is the right thing to do, and we should be doing it. In the Medicare program, it's like adding insult to injury um, because, uh, you know, in Puerto Rico, people pay for Social Security, the Medicare program, the same as in the States, yet, um, for example, Part B of the Medicare program is not automatic in Puerto Rico. It's not a, an opt, what's called an opt-out jurisdiction. In the States, you get Part B, which is the, the, the coverage for anything that you need outside a hospital, any yes. health care you need outside a hospital, that's the Part B coverage. Well, everywhere in America, you get it automatically. If you don't want it because you have to pay a premium for it, and it's reduced from or taken from your Social Security check, you can opt out. But there are consequences because then you lose that coverage. In the case of Puerto Rico, it's not automatic. So a lot of people don't request it, don't opt in. Uh, actually, I'll give you the number. It's about 140,000 beneficiaries, Medicare beneficiaries in Puerto Rico, do not have Part B coverage. So, And the total of Medicare beneficiaries in Puerto Rico is about 700,000 uh, people. So, And what happens when you don't have Part B coverage? When you need any kind of uh, medical assistance, you end up going to an emergency room or perhaps to a clinic, a community health clinic, but you don't, you don't have a family doctor, you don't have a, a anybody, a general practitioner. If you have a chronic condition, you're not treating it. So it's terrible that we don't have that. We also do not have Part D, which is the subsidy that low-income uh, retirees in the States get for purposes of, of um, buying their um, prescribed drugs. So we don't have that. We have a, a, a very uh, small uh, grant given to Puerto Rico that doesn't even compare. That, again, is atrocious. Um, so, and those, those are examples I'm giving you. Uh, people forget in the States, in Congress, everywhere, that you have 3.5 million American citizens residing in, in Puerto Rico. And that's no way uh, of uh, dealing with them. Um, it, it, we should be treating them fairly, equally, uh, in terms of federal programs. Oh, no, and, and absolutely, Congressman. Yeah. That is, I mean, you've taught me something today that if these are citizens, 3.5 million people. They're American citizens. You're American. There should be no type of separation of benefits. They are, they are citizens of this United States. That's right. They enlist and, in our armed forces at a rate as high as any state. In fact, the per capita it's one of the highest in the states. Um, I mean, and they they go to uh, uh, wherever they're needed: uh, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, uh, anywhere. Um, and, and, and 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 a lot of that, a lot, and, and 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 thousands of them have uh, lost their lives uh, defending our nation, our liber- liberties, our way of uh, uh, mm-hmm. this, our, our government system, and so on. So uh, well, you, well, you, you well, add that to the equation, imagine what we're talking about. Well, I'll tell you this, Congressman. Uh, AJC Radio is going to start a campaign of looking into making Puerto Rico equal to the other states. That is unheard that's, of. That's, that's unconscionable. I just can't believe I, that. I can't comprehend that. I commend you and your leadership to fight and to bring these issues uh, to the table and the, that the president – uh, saw fit to include it into his budget uh, proposal. This is important. This is something that uh, it's not American. 
Yeah, one thing we haven't talked about, and we should, is that Puerto Rico is in the midst of an unprecedented fiscal and economic crisis. The island has been under uh, uh, um, suffering from a long-standing recession. It's now at about 80 years without growth, uh, significant growth. And the government has indebted itself um, too much. Um, Basically, the, the total amount of the public debt in Puerto Rico is about the same as our GNP, um, gross national product. So it's, it's heavy. And the government is facing, is having a serious liquidity issue, uh, not being able to pay tax refunds, pay on contractors and so on. This is in the news. Congress is considering creating a board similar to the one that was created for the District of Columbia back in the mid-90s, so to assist Puerto Rico uh, in getting its fiscal house in order and, and, and regaining access to the financial markets. Because right now, Puerto Rico doesn't have any access to the financial markets. And, and so it's, it's facing this, this huge fiscal um, uh, mess. Um, now, uh, one thing I'm doing in the midst of here in Congress, is I'm telling Congress, you can create a board to assist Puerto Rico, but you need to also recognize that when Puerto Rico incurred in, in all this debt, in, 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 a, in a, a big part of the reason was that we've been trying to have the same quality of life that you see in the States without having the same resources than, that the States have. Um, our government has been uh, incurring in a lot more expenses in the health area, the one that we were talking about, because of lack of resources, lack of federal resources in Puerto Rico. Uh, you have to understand that the reason why that happens in Puerto Rico is that if we don't do it, if we don't try to compensate and, 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 and give, provide people the same level of services as they see uh, in Florida, or in Texas, or New York, or Connecticut, uh, uh, our people leave. And when people leave like they have been leaving lately, which is rough, we're losing about 2%, 1% to 2% of the population yearly in the last 10 years. When that happens, your economy will not grow. You need population okay. to grow. And, and, and so that's a huge challenge we're, we're having. And here in Congress, whenever they're talking about creating a board, I'm saying yes, but that's going to fall short. You can create a board, but you need to give Puerto Rico the same tools, the same resources as the states have. No, that's absolutely the truth. And we're going to make it a point, Congressman, on this program uh, to let our listeners know across the United States and around the world Uh, Something needs to happen, and if that's been the status quo, it needs to be changed. Uh, Puerto Rico, and and my understanding is they're involved in elections, aren't they? We we will have – I'm running for governor of Puerto Rico. Our elections uh, follow the same presidential – the presidential cycle up here. So Mm -hmm. we'll have elections uh, in Puerto Rico in November uh, for governor – Resident commissioner, which is the post that I hold right now, uh, the, the resident commissioner is the one that repre- who represents Puerto Rico in Congress, and then uh, for our legislature and uh, mayors throughout uh, the island. Okay, and uh, Congressman, I'll ask you this. What can we do uh, as a network and as media 
to help you and help the people of Puerto Rico? Any suggestions other than what we intend to do on our own? Uh, we're yeah. willing to sensitize your audience about the fact that uh, Puerto Rico is not Costa Rica. This is not a foreign country. This right. is an American territory with American citizens and deserving a decent quality of life, uh, deserving um, the same rights as their fellow citizens. Uh, we are, why, how come we cannot vote for the president when the president makes decisions every day that affect our, uh, our lives? How come we don't have voting representation in Congress when uh, Congress uh, legislates on a regular basis um, and includes Puerto Rico, for better or worse, in the bills it, it, it considers? Um, it, that's not democratic. And finally, how come uh, you're not treating uh, – Puerto Ricans or the American citizens, because it's any American citizen. It doesn't have to do, you don't have to be Puerto Rican. Any American citizen in living, living in Puerto Rico doesn't get the same uh, treatment in, in programs like Medicaid, Medicare, Supplemental Security Income, um, uh, Federal uh, Earned Income Tax credit, uh, Credits, um, Child Tax Credits. In all those programs, just to name a few, we don't get the same deal. That's not right. It's no, about no. time. We, we treat the, the, the American citizens of Puerto Rico as they deserve. No, absolutely, Congressman. And I'm going to leave you with this last question. We intend to push that agenda here on AJC absolutely. Radio and a Just Cause because we are about any type of injustice. That rings true of injustice. It sure does. You can't be part of the United States and then take my food from me, take my rights from me, and how do you include Puerto Rico in a bill and not have a say in it? Exactly. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. We, we're going to definitely push that issue. Last question, uh, Congressman, we, we talk about the, the candidates. Uh, there's been a little bit of issue, quite a bit of discussion regarding uh, the issue with uh, immigration. Uh, I do uh, see that, that you are on the uh, uh, Committee for Immigration Reform. Uh, I believe that the border control, I believe it's called um, immigration and border security and border security. Uh, we talk about Donald Trump uh, making the statements that he has made, uh, which a lot of people are saying divides the country. You want to uh, put all uh, Muslims somewhere else. You want to say despairingly remarks regards to the Latino community. Uh, how important is it that America know how to, tune out this type of division. Uh, and a lot of people are outraged about it because it brings a decisive act of division to our country. Uh, what do we need to do to address those issues? We should be um, proud of our diversity. We should be proud of the fact that this is a multi-ethnic, multicultural nation. We should be proud of the fact that this has always been a nation of immigrants. Of course, we're a nation of laws as well, but when you have 12 million uh, people uh, residing in this nation without their documents in order, uh, and you're talking about immigrants, there's something wrong with the system. 
You need to yes. fix the system. So we do need comprehensive immigration reform. Some of those immigrants have been here for a very long time, contributing to our nation, even paying taxes, uh, mm -hmm. bearing children, um, and, and improving our quality of life. Uh, by and large, the jobs that they have are jobs that are available and that um, citizens are not uh, uh, standing in line for. So it's not like they're taking jobs away from uh, our fellow citizens. I, I don't buy that. I'll never buy it. To, to some extent, like any, any, any population, you have, but of course you have some who could m commit crimes, but those are the few. And, and any you detect, you should be, of course, investigating, prosecuting, and, and deporting. But the law-abiding ones, the ones who simply he came here because they were either um, uh, just simply looking for um, uh, uh, running away from abuse back home, seeking liberty, seeking freedom, or seeking um, a, 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 a way of um, of supporting their 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 families. I mean, those those we should be treating fairly. We should be treating them like human beings, not uh, treating them like some here would want to. Which is which is simply let's send them back home, regardless of the consequences. That's not a civilized way of treating immigrants. And so. I definitely support comprehensive immigration reform. I believe that ethnicity and, and, and cultural background, social origin um, should not be an issue uh, when deciding how to treat uh, fellow human beings. And, 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 and that's, that's what I'll say on the topic. Okay. Uh, Congressman Pierre Luisi, thank you so very much uh, for joining us. You're, you have inspired and, and ignited, if you will, passion uh, to this radio show tonight in regards to the right uh, approach in the, definitely addressing the challenges that face Puerto Rico uh, and the American citizens that uh, reside there. I thank you so much for taking time with us. Uh, Congressman, we are going to be in Washington, D.C. at the end of May. Um, and as a member of the judiciary, there's a couple of things we'd like to share with you uh, if you're open for that. I don't know what your schedule is. We're going to actually be there for the youth initiative uh, foster care initiative uh, being hosted by Congresswoman Karen Bass and Congressman Marino dealing with foster care and the importance of what they're doing up there. We would love an opportunity to sit down maybe and talk with you and, and uh, share some information in the judicial side of things and a poster child case, if you will, known as the IRP-6 of, of the fact that, that we're looking for accountability within our judicial system. And I, I'm curious, your passion that you have that we have felt from you today on this program, I believe would trans transform into that as well. And I would love, we had the opportunity to sit down with Congressman uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, another member of the judiciary. We shared yes. some things with him. Uh, hopefully, I would hope you'd be open to that, and maybe we can sit down and meet at the end of May. Would that work for you? Count, count on that. If, um, if, my, if I'm around, I'll be available. Okay. And what we'll do, uh, Congressman, we will go ahead and forward some information to you, if that's okay, regarding the IRP-6. Uh, and, and in a nutshell, these men were uh, patriots of America, actually created software to fight terrorist actions against the homeland, uh, and they are patriots of this country that have been done a huge injustice. We want to get your thoughts on it as a member of the judiciary, and we're going to forward that information, and uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll have Lisa get with your folks and see what we can do to schedule the time at the end of okay. May. We're still waiting on dates for that, if that's okay. We'd love to sit down with you for a few minutes. 
Okay. So thank okay. you, Lamont. Thank you, Lisa, yeah. and uh, uh, God bless you. Okay. Take thank care, Congressman. So Our prayers and thoughts are with you. Take care. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. Uh, Congressman Pierre Louisi uh, doing some things and educating us, Lisa, today on the unfairness. Yes. That's you know going what, Lamont? On. We, me and Cliff actually sat down with uh, uh, George Laws in uh, Congressman Pierluisi's office, and he was explaining to us how the congressman is basically uh, he's the only person he's the only member that's working for Puerto Rico with 3.5 million people that's more than that's any largest. other representative in the US no other representative has that many citizens that they're that they're under, serving, under his that, watch. That, that they're trying to take care of wow. and he's got so much on his plate trying to take care of all these people and uh, you understand it even more now after speaking with him today well look uh, if you're part of the United States you're part of the United States and there should be no separation of rights of medical care, medical treatment, of uh, programs. There just should not be any. If you do that, you send a message of segregation yes. to a people. And a 3.5 million people, U.S. citizens, who pay taxes, who gave their life in war. And Lamont, what they're saying is that Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States. It's not, they're not counting it as a state that's not they, right. They're counting it as a territory. Like basically, it's something that they own, that the U.S. owns. That's not right. No, that's because not right. you don't own. Are we going back to slavery? Yeah. The United States doesn't own a people. No, they. You do can't not. say you are a territory and we own Puerto Rico, but yet we, if you're going to own Puerto Rico, hypothetically, let's just use that term. Well, if you own it, the same rights apply to those citizens. If they if they if they're owned by the U.S., they are a part of. They the are US. part of the United States, and that is. That is something that must change, and that is something we'll address on this program. And what a passionate man. Lisa, we'll have an opportunity, it sounds like, to sit down with him uh, when we go back to Washington. I look forward to sitting down with him. Yes, I do, He's he's very together. Ladies and gentlemen, spotlight on Capitol Hill, Congressman Pierre Luisi joined us here on this interview. And I'll tell you, folks, uh, your thoughts should be with Puerto Rico and the people that are suffering what they are going through over there. Uh, it, it is, the, in my opinion, the responsibility of the United States to stand up to the plate and defend its own. And Puerto Rico is our own. They're part of us. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming right back on Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we continue to shine the light on Congressman Pierre Luisi from Puerto Rico. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I wanted to be in the military since since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force 
I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You gotta find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Mr. Speaker, yesterday, this nation, including Puerto Rico, celebrated Martin Luther King Day. It is important to pause and reflect upon Dr. King's legacy and its relevance to the issue of Puerto Rico's political status. In the 1950s and 1960s, Dr. King was the most, the most prominent leader of the civil rights movement for racial equality in the United States. He was physically brave, leading peaceful marches and other protests in parts of the country where some government officials and residents were willing to use violence and intimidation to maintain a system of segregation and discrimination. Dr. King was also remarkably eloquent. His speeches and writings inspired men and women who already supported the campaign for racial equality but they also changed the hearts and minds of individuals who initially opposed the cause. He helped many Americans who were living in moral darkness to see the light. Dr. King was motivated by a sense of urgency. In a letter written from an Alabama jail, he stated that justice too long delayed is justice denied. But Dr. King was also strategic. Every action he took was carefully designed to advance the cause. He knew that means mattered as much as ends, and he had little patience for advocates who lacked a sense of tactics and timing. Dr. King traveled to Puerto Rico on at least two occasions, but it does not appear that he expressed a considered opinion about the island's political status. Nevertheless, based on Dr. King's philosophy, it is fair to presume that he would be very troubled by the situation in Puerto Rico. Dr. King regarded the right to vote as sacred. In a 1957 speech 
delivered in front of the Lincoln Memorial, he said, I quote, so long as I do not firmly and irrevocably possess the right to vote, I do not possess myself. I cannot make up my mind. It is made up for me. I cannot live as a democratic citizen. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. As the night approaches here in Colorado Springs and across this nation, as another day comes to an end, today we have learned a few things about a man, a champion, and a humanitarian for justice and equality. We are speaking of Congressman Pierre Luisi that represents the island of Puerto Rico and 3.5 million U.S. citizens. We have learned tonight that there seems to be a clear picture and a lack of equality to these citizens. And as you heard Dennis and Cliff uh, doing the congressman's interview that he gave us, the passion and the leadership of Puerto Rico is clear. And Congressman Pierluisi shows that leadership in a very distinct way. Dennis, as he was talking about veterans signing up to defend this nation at the highest rate of getting into the armed services in the, in the, in the country. Yeah, and he said, and he actually said that, you know, thousands have died. Have lost their have lives. Have lost their lives. Dennis, as a veteran, when you hear these things, uh, and thank you for your service, what does that do to you as a soldier? This is, these are your comrades. Should America not be doing more? Oh, exactly. Uh, again, I, I agree with the uh, congressman. I mean, come on. I mean... Puerto Rico, like he said, it's not a foreign territory. You know, it's not a foreign country. Right. It's a, it's a it's a United States territory, but still, he's pushing to make it a state, and I agree with him. I mean, if 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 we if we're gonna allow them to fight for us and protect our our United States of America, they definitely need to be a, a true part of America, and they need to benefit. They need to be able to get the benefits that all the Amer- all American citizens get. And, you know, until un, until that happens, I see how he continues and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I'm telling you, I commend him. I mean, just when he yep. started talking about our veterans, that that I was like, wow, really? Absolutely. And uh, Dennis, I'll tell you, Cliff, uh, when you when you hear him talk, uh, you don't have to wonder what his position is. He's clear. Uh, he speaks straight from his heart. What he and he says, what he means and without a doubt means what he says. Uh, a very, very uh, extraordinary gentleman uh, that is concerned about the future of the people of Puerto Rico. Uh, these are things that are critically important. As we, we don't build walls, uh, Cliff, and dividers and dividing people. At the onset, we are human beings. And his point, Cliff, on the, so the, so the policies and the, uh, the potential policies that are wanting to be enforced and 12 million illegal immigrants in this country. He made it clear that we need laws, we need systems in place. So nobody's taking nothing away from that. Right, but it has to be it, fair laws. Absolutely. And fair systems that, I mean, just like he said, you don't treat a person who comes over to America 
um, you know, without papers, illegally, whatever you want to call it. A person who comes over and starts to commit crime, you don't treat the person who comes over and say, I'm running from, uh, you know, from tyranny. My, my family is in danger. I'm looking for a greater opportunity. I'm here. I'm paying taxes. You don't treat that person the same way that you would treat a criminal and say, you know what, we're just going to send you all back. If you die, basically, we cannot allow America to say, well, if you die at the hand of a tyrant, then America doesn't care. Just go back home. That is not, that is not what we're founded on. And uh, listening to Cong- Congressman Pierre Luisi, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of the early American settlers, the forefathers of America, who said, you know what? We want to be a part of something great. We want to say we want it to be said that we matter. When they when they uh, left England, and and uh, some of the tyranny that was going on over there, and they came to America and made it a great country, and said, you know what? We all are going to become the United States of America. We're going to come together, and and create something great. This is the same fight that Congressman Pierre Luisi is fighting today to say, you know what? Puerto Rico offers something. Puerto Rico has people like like Dennis alluded to that are giving their lives in the armed forces for the United States of America. We pay taxes. We want to be a part of something great. You cannot just annex us as a territory and then tell us, well, now just sit back and you're not really going to get any rights. That is not fair. That is not the way of America. So I stand with them. Make Puerto Rico a true state because Absolutely. it is Puerto Rico is doing everything that any United States of America is already doing. So give them that. And the other thing that when you look at the bills that he, uh, that he deals with, that the acts that he's trying to, that he's uh, being impactful in, most of them have one, uh, you know, resounding thing, equality. Give us equality. We're paying taxes. We're serving in the armed forces. Why can't we have uh, equal rights? As any any other American citizen, no, I mean absolutely. to have a to have a uh, act that says improving the treatment of the U, of the U.S. and uh, U.S. territories under Federal Health Program Act of 2015. Well, I think it's uh, you know I have a great deal of respect, uh, Cliff, to those points that you make about Congressman uh, Pierre Luisi is is over the is overwhelming, honestly. Uh, and I'll tell you this: this is something that was written. Uh, uh, doing roll call, written January 26th of this year. And it states that in Puerto Rico, it's common knowledge, and the congressman told us he is running for the governorship, uh, that's, uh, that he's a non-voting delegate to the House of Representatives. Puerto Rico resident commissioner, Pedro, Congressman Pedro Pierluisi, is running for governor in 2016, uh, and thus cannot seek re-election to Congress. But in Washington, D.C., his office has not put out an official announcement that the Democrat currently serving his second four-year term is living at the end of Congress. Uh, again, he just shared with us uh, on the air that he intends to run for the governorship. Uh, he was elected in 2008. Congressman Paralisi has been an outspoken advocate for Puerto Rican statehood, and he told Roll Call Thursday that all of his congressional colleagues know he's running for governor. But why would he want to leave? And this is, and I quote, The power you have in D.C. is very minimal. He thinks as governor he can do more for Puerto Rico, said Puerto Rican political consultant Onyx Maldonado, who works for the firm WP Group in San Juan. No question about it, Congre- Congressman P- Paralusi told Roll Call Thursday, my biggest quest in my political life 
is to obtain equal rights for the American citizens of Puerto Rico. Think about that. Dennis, when you hear his, he, he could run if he wanted to. He said, but that's not what I'm about. My purpose, my vision is equal rights for the citizens of Puerto Rico. It sounds like another version of Dr. King. It does. Your thoughts on that, Dennis? Yeah, it truly does. I mean, he's a fighter, and uh, you can tell. It's just amazing how, uh, you know, they were talking, you know, you're talking about the, you know, presidential uh, election and how uh, Puerto Rico does does not have a say in the election of the president yet. Uh, you know, when the delegates come, you know, as far as for uh, the Republican or the uh, right. Democrats, they have a say. I'm like, to me, that doesn't yeah. make sense. I can fight for this country. I can die for this country. I can uh, make this country more wealthier because I'm sure Puerto Rico, in with them paying the taxes that they pay, uh, but yet I can't vote for the president. I mean, I, I don't get it, but I tell you, he, he sounds like a fighter. And, and like you said, he's not about politics. He's about the people. And that's what we need in Congress. Exactly. And I believe to be the role model of what true public service is about. Yes. It, it is about the people of the United States. And, you know, you give me everything that you want to give me and give me a house in a neighborhood, but I can't come and go as I please. I put limitations. There's locks on the refrigerator at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> I can't get none. You know, why do we put restrictions? And that's just an analogy, of course. But why do we expect so much from Puerto Rico and yet we give so little? As as, as the congressman alluded to, it's not right. And you can put any twist on it that you want. Something has to be done. And AJC Radio will continue uh, to get the message out for the extreme... uh, passion and vision of Congressman uh, Pierre Luisi and his the purpose in which he stands so so very uh, true to the issues that that affect those people uh, and I don't want to say those people our people uh, on the island of Puerto Rico and I think that's critically important Cliff you had something on that well you know uh, going back to what uh, Congressman Pierre Luisi said during roll call um, you know it, it just really stands out and uh, tells you how much he is committed to serving his people and you know the people of Puerto Rico the people of the United States he says my biggest quest in my political life is to obtain equal rights for the American citizens of Puerto Rico in terms of pecking order the governor is considered to be the leader in the island where the resident commissioner the uh, congress the congressman in in, uh, in Washington is the number two politically um, Pierluisi is saying that you know, he got. He says, I got Congress to allow us to have a, refer, a referendum on statehood, but it's not happening because the sitting governor in Puerto Rico isn't wanting it to happen. A big reason why I'm running is because once I'm in office, I'll be holding a referendum on the admission of Puerto Rico as a state with the blessing of the Attorney General of the United States. I mean, I will hate to see him leave Congress because he, uh, you know, he fights so hard for Puerto Rico. But when he becomes governor, I'll be watching that very close because when that referendum comes out, if there's anything that I can do to put my name to it, allow Puerto Rico to become a state. They're doing everything already. It's the signature of a piece of paper, and I, I hope so much that before President Obama leaves office that, uh, that he signs that in. That, that, I think, will be another one of his 
greatest accomplishments as a president and I'm sure the greatest con- uh, accomplishment uh, for Congressman uh, Pierre Luisi in his life to see Puerto Rico become a state uh, under his governorship. No, absolutely. And when you meet Congressman Pierre Luisi in person, the passion is the same. The human kindness, the human spirit is the same. Uh, he took time to talk to us. It was outside of an elevator, outside of his office. And I'm telling you, he had good things to say. He, he, he was very, very pleased with AJC Radio and Adjust Calls and began to talk about the issues right then and right there. And again, most people that talk about things that consistently is because it's in their heart. Uh, I believe that to be the case. I know he's fighting uh, for the Child Tax Credit Equity for Puerto Rico Act of 2015. Uh, the bill amends the Eternal Revenue Code to allow citizens of Puerto Rico to claim refundable portion of the child tax credit on the same basis as U.S. taxpayers. So he's fighting for the children of Puerto Rico and the families. Exactly. We can get earned credit, tax credit for our children here, but these are taxpayers. Why is that not the same? I agree with you so much. I was uh, reading this article, and it says, and he says, he says the simple truth is that no governor in the 50 states would accept such an assault on American citizens. The state's delegations would fight it, and such unfair, pernicious cuts simply wouldn't be accepted. The same is happening in Puerto Rico, but we have no delegation, we have no seat at the tables when decisions are made, no votes in the federal government that makes our laws. This is perhaps the ultimate price we pay because of our territorial status. If Puerto Rico was a state, we would have full parity in all federal programs, including Medicare. So what he's saying here is that if we were a state, we could be treated better than we're treated now as a territory. Just through, you know, pretty much thrown aside you know, we're going to give you, we'll help you a little bit here and there, but it's all on you. But still, I want you to send your people to fight for our country and to represent us, you know, in, in a positive way. But yet we, we, we treat you unfairly. Yeah, uh, it, it's something that, that needs to definitely be looked at uh, by this country. Uh, the United States, you know, it doesn't take a genius, a politician uh, to figure out just on the conversation with the congressman. That what he says is true Exactly You have to deal with that Nothing that Congressman uh, Pierre Luisi is asking Is out of the reach of reality no, it's, no. It's, it's something that is so far-fetched We cannot possibly do that That simply is not true There's a reason he represents 3.5 million people In the United States Congress These people are not to be ignored They're not to be slighted They are United States citizens and here's the here's the kicker, uh, Dennis. We talked about they wear in the badge. That's right. To protect the homeland of the United States. And if that doesn't mean fair treatment, at a minimum, I don't know what else does. That is uncomprehendable to me, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to get in on the conversation, feel free to call in tonight at three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. That's three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. As we continue to still with the initiatives, the passion, the fight, if you will, of a warrior uh, in Congressman uh, Pedro uh, Pierluisi. 
we're talking about a warrior here who's fighting to institute change, fairness. And I think, Cliff and, and Dennis, that's what stood out to me more than anything. He wants fairness and equality for the people of Puerto Rico. And I don't think, I don't think that's, that's far-fetched to ask. Not at all. That's but, all any American says. That's what America's built on, is that we said, you know what, we're going to make a country that uh, gives everybody equal rights. Un- under God, that the unalienable rights that have been given by God to every human being on the planet. Absolutely. That is all any person asks for. And that is what this country is built off of. And it it seems a little, uh, you know, archaic for American territories not to be states. It's like, okay, so what? We, we, we already have 50 states. We don't want to have 51. That That's, that's ridiculous. But, yeah. I mean... You, the if if the territory is paying taxes and join I mean joining the military giving your life for the country allow them to be a state okay. to get the same rights as every equality is all they're looking for and that I don't think is too much uh, no, for anybody who serves in the military to ask not at all and for the leadership Dennis of Congressman Pierre Luisi it gives you chills when you hear him talk. Because it's just not talk. This is in the heart of this champion on Capitol Hill that is doing something and representing, again, the number 3.5 million people. That is no easy task. And the difference is you don't hear Congressman Pierre Luisi bad talk in the United States. He's not saying he's not degrading the United States. He's asking for one thing, and that is fairness. And you don't hear that bitterness, but you hear the passion. We must make these changes. Uh, we need more people like Congressman Pierre Luisi. What do you think, Dennis, on that? Oh, exactly. He's not bashing Republicans. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's not out there, you know, uh, saying that it, it's all their fault. He's just saying, hey, I just want us to be fair, uh, you know, uh, come together. And just hear me out. Just listen to what I have to say, because what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the lives of, like you said, 3.5 million American citizens. Uh, and we, we need to be treated the same. I mean, when you think about it, it kind of it makes you go back. Yeah. And, and I can't go that far back, but I can go back to the 60s. But it makes you think like, wow, really? <laughs> well, we're talking about American citizens here. And we're not, they don't have the same rights that I do. That, to me, that doesn't make sense. And now I understand his passion. I mean, this congressman is truly passionate about making sure that the citizens of Puerto Rico, the American citizens of Puerto Rico, is uh, treated fair. No, and that's, that's again, uh, very important. I mean, we just go down the different bills, Dennis Cliff, uh, that he's doing, uh, territories, Medicare, prescription drug assistance, uh, Equity Act of 2015, uh, men's uh, uh, other titles of the Social Security Act to make premium and cost-sharing subsidies available to low-income Medicare Part D benefit uh, beneficiaries who, res- who reside in Puerto Rico or another territory of the United States. He's the sponsor of that bill. He's the sponsor of the Puerto Rico Financial Improvement and Bond Guarantee Act of 2015, uh, Earned Income Tax Credit uh, uh, Equity for Puerto Rico Act of 2015, uh, Child Tax Credit Equity for Puerto Rico Act of 2015, 
improving the treatment of the U.S. territories under Federal Health Programs Act of 2015, Supplemental Security Income Equity Act of 2015-2016. Uh, I mean, you go on and on, and it's about fairness. It's about equality. Puerto Rico Hospital Medicare Reimbursement Equity Act, Marine Turtle Con- Conservation Reauthorization Act of 2013, for his entire tenure, Act after act for equality, equality. for equality. Yes, yes, uh, yes. And again, I said it, and I, I don't take it back, nor do I shy away from it. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was about equality to all people, whether you're black, white, whatever nationality. And Congressman Pierre Luisi has followed the steps of Dr. King for a people who are fighting for something, not for a, a, a housing area. Not, he says, I want equality. And if you can't give, you know, what is the most important thing in life as far as liberty and living is your health, which is the most important exactly. thing in order to even live uh, a productive life is health. And he continues uh, to, con- you know, on his, I mean, this is unbelievable. Puerto Rico Chapter 9 Uniformity Act uh, amends the federal bankruptcy code to treat Puerto Rico as a state under Chapter 9. Uh, Congress Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Process Act authorizes state elections commissions of Puerto Rico to provide for a vote on Puerto Rico's admission into the union as a state within one year of this act's enactment. He continues over and over again to fight for justice and equality for every human being and those people that reside on the island of Puerto Rico. Ladies and gentlemen, if you got a few chill bumps there, perhaps... A little patriotic, uh, I'd say it's in order. Because tonight, as we shine the light on Congressman Pedro Pierre Luisi, I consider him a hero in his fight for justice and equality. We're coming right back here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we continue our reflection on a man, I'll tell you, that's exceptional. <laughs> And I and that's not even giving it due justice. We'll be right back as we continue to shine the light on Congressman Pierre Luisi. We're coming right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions call or just calls today 1-855-529-4252 we seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe not because dad or mom did anything wrong because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. 
In Delaware County, more than 200 lives have been saved from an opioid overdose by police with the use of naloxone. I am District Attorney Jack Whalen. I, along with Delaware County Council, invite you to be part of the solution to the drug overdose epidemic by bringing your unused and expired medications to Rose Tree Park on Saturday, April 23rd from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Join me at Community Day and enjoy live music, free food, and family activities while helping to make our community drug-free. Community Day is brought to you by the Heroin Task Force and Partners for Success Coalition and funded by the Delaware County Office of Behavioral Health Division of Drug and Alcohol Programs. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Mr. Speaker, today I'm reintroducing a bill to extend the Supplemental Security Income Program, known as SSI, to Puerto Rico. Of all the disparities that Puerto Rico faces because it is a territory and not a state, few are as damaging as its exclusion from SSI. SSI provides monthly cash assistance to blind, disabled, or elderly individuals who have limited or no income. We're talking about the most vulnerable members of our society. SSI applies in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. However, since the program's inception in 1974, it has not been extended to Puerto Rico. Instead, the federal grant program known as Aid to the Aged, Blind and Disabled, or AABD, applies in Puerto Rico. The Social Security Administration sends monthly SSI payments directly to beneficiaries, whereas the AABD program is administered by the Puerto Rico government using an annual block grant provided by, by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The gap between the treatment that is provided to beneficiaries in the 50 states and the treatment that is provided to their fellow American citizens in Puerto Rico is, in a word, shocking. According to the most recent federal statistics, the average SSI payment to beneficiaries is $540 a month and close to $650 a month for beneficiaries who are under the age of 18. By contrast, based on the most recent data that has been furnished to my office, the block grant that the federal government provides to Puerto Rico, to the Puerto Rico government, is only $33 million a year. With this limited funding, the Puerto Rico government provides an average payment to adult beneficiaries of just $74 a month. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America and our family and our friends of Puerto Rico. Tonight we have the opportunity to shine the light on a champion for the, for the island and the territory of Puerto Rico. 
What's his name? Congressman Pedro Pierluisi doing some things that I'll tell you what, he's a man you want in your corner if he begins if he continues to fight, as we have no doubt he will continue to do so, to bring change and equality to Puerto Rico and to all the US citizens of Puerto Rico. And I want to just say this off the top. Uh, I give a sincere apology to the treatment of our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters who are feeling the um, the unfairness, the uh, what word do you give it, Dennis? The, this type of of treatment is simply unacceptable and is not American. Not at all. I mean, when you uh, again, I, I I just can't get over the fact that uh, Puerto Rico, you know, you know, there, there's there's soldiers. I, I, I'm a veteran, so that I can't get away from that. That right. he, when he actually said thousands have died, there you go. That, that that's just like come on, and, and yet you're not going to treat me as an American citizen. You're not gonna you're gonna you're gonna call me a territory, and, and treat me as such like I'm a foreigner. Come on. Well, I think one well, thing. Go ahead, Dennis. I'm sorry. Let's do the right thing. That's all I was gonna say. And I believe that was a so let's do the right <laughs> thing. Is that a slogan somebody uses somewhere? And uh, I'll tell you, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about the heroic acts, and that's what I call them. I call Congressman Pierre Luisi a champion, a soldier, a warrior, a general of justice, of equality. You can add any adjective you want on there, but I guarantee you they better all be good because uh, this is unheard of, and he continues to fight yes. for the vision uh, to protect and to make all people equal uh, in this United States. And I was thinking about how America sometimes treats their allies better than Puerto Rico, who is, again, uh holding or having 3.5 million United States citizens. And <laughs> I mean, how, how are the allies treated with more respect? Yeah, it, it makes absolutely no sense. But I want to go back to the clip that he just... Uh, did he say that the citizens in Puerto Rico for their their social security benefit is $74 a month. That's exactly what he said. What are you supposed to do with $74 a month? For meta for whatever. For, I mean, yeah, we, wow. so you can you can buy a, uh, uh, in a month. Let's say your let's say your bread if if bread costs $2 a loaf. So you can get a few loaves of bread, a couple pieces of meat. What are you going to do about your rent, your utilities? car this is $74 and you're calling that an American citizen do you know the protest if if a stateside American citizen said okay the money I put into so into my social security the taxes that were taken out of my wages and you're gonna pay me $74 a month I mean, do you know the uprising look, I don't I'm not a mathematician what do the math on that uh, of what that is a week, a day. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about... What is that? That's like $22 a week. Wow. 20, wow. 24 maybe. 
it, Am I doing that right? Somewhere no. in that. Yeah, we, 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 we're trying to guess it on that. About $22 dollars that. a week. I'm going to break out my calculator because I cannot believe that that is that low. Go ahead, Cliff, and find out what that is an hour. Uh, wow. What is that an hour? So we can really speak to, and you heard the congressman say the results were absolutely shocking uh, that that even happens. And Wait, we, you're talking about... 46 cents an hour. You've got to be kidding me right now. Here's the difference. 46 cents an hour if they work a 40-hour week. You're talking about $18 a week. Now that, How that, do you, what are you supposed to do with $18? And again, this is happening to families whose fathers and mothers have fought on the front lines of war. To defend this nation, and they make forty-six dollars an hour. Forty-six cents. Excuse me, forty-six cents. I was too polite. Forty-six cents an hour. That would be a complete uprising in the United States of America. Yeah, I mean that takes the whole phrase of social security. I mean, they're supposed to be security for society that you pay taxes in. This is your security that, uh, in old age, in the event you get hurt. In the event uh, you can't you can't work anymore, your security that you've paid into for as long as you work that you get now you get eighteen dollars a week from. Well, you? I'll tell you what I'm going to close on this segment as we get ready for the IRP six. What you didn't know, it says here that the discrimination extends to supplemental security income benefits. No one living outside the United States can receive Social Security. Anyone residing in Puerto Rico cannot receive Social Security because despite their sacrifice in paying into the tax system, both territories are considered outside the U.S. Meanwhile, residents of the Northern uh, Marinas Island receive Social Security even though that territory is much farther away from the United States mainland. The question is, how does this possibly make sense? I'll, I got the answer for you. Hold on to your seats. It doesn't. Uh, and there's no other way to say it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's take a moment tonight as, as, again, we have been floored and just blown away by another champion who occupies a seat in our nation's capital, and I call him a prince of equality. His name, Congressman Pedro Pierluisi, making a difference, attempting to fight, and he hasn't got tired yet, folks. Write your congressmen, your senators, whoever you need to reach out to, to bring equality to the island of Puerto Rico and its citizens. We thank uh, the congressman for taking time and giving that interview with us, and uh, it's been a good time with that. And I'll tell you what, Dennis, your closing thoughts on the on the uh, congressman. Awesome, courageous, brave, strong. I mean, this guy, I tell you. Uh, uh, the congressman truly needs to be commended for his work that he's doing right now, trying to make sure that people are treated fairly, uh, not only American citizens in America, but American citizens in Puerto Rico. And I tell you, awesome. Well, it's been a good time with that tonight, ladies and gentlemen. What you didn't know about the IRP six, a lot of unanswered questions, but the continued questions rise as the story of the IRP-6 continues to blow us away. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 starts right now.
Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP-6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And what you didn't know continues that the IRP6, who are these brave patriots of America? They are David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Patriots who have been wrongfully convicted sit in a prison cell as they languish for a crime never committed. Because of the acts of the prosecutor, the U.S. attorney in this case, uh, Matthew Kirsch, his boss, John Walsh, and federal judge Christine Aguayo in the 10th Circuit here in Colorado. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 is that it took four years to bring the initial indictment, and as we said before, because there was no crime. And they pushed it almost to the end of the speedy trial on that cliff. Uh, they, they brought those charges. They were on a timeline. They brought them at five minutes till midnight. Tell the people what they don't know. Yeah, in essence, I mean, the statute of limitations was so close, so close. And the reason that uh, that Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch even went after it was, you know, when, when IRP went to Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, uh, the Office of the uh, Inspector General, was going to 
uh, sign on the dotted line to buy the software and was contacted by Matthew Kirsch basically saying, do not do business and said, not basically, but said, there is going to be an indictment coming down. Now, you cannot. How do you foresee the future that an indictment is coming down? This was prior to the second grand jury being impaneled. But then the other thing that you don't know is that the second grand jury that was impaneled after Matthew Kirsch contacted Philadelphia OIG, that grand jury only heard from one witness. That one witness was an FBI agent named Robert Mullen. How do you it, – it it's just it's sickening because how do you have a grand jury? You have people who are supposed to hear witnesses, evidence, but you can't have a witness or evidence from just one side and supposedly get anything fair. You have one, a FBI agent, sure you're going to get an indictment. You have the FBI agent that says these people committed crimes. Well, how do you know they committed crimes? Because we found evidence that they did. And then you don't have to present any of that. And you say that that is enough circumstantial evidence that an FBI agent said you were committing a crime that they bring an indictment on you. How sick is this system that something right. like that can happen? It's a horrible situation, and uh, I'll tell you what, folks, continue as we continue to bring this message of what you didn't know about the IRP-6. The story gets deeper. The plot thickens as six men, David Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker sit, and they languish in prison for a crime that they did not commit. We ask you to go to change.org, sign the petition as we request the president to release these men as a matter of national security, but also as a result of a huge miscarriage of justice. The perpetrators of justice are as follows. U.S. Attorney John Walsh, AUSA Matthew Kirsch, AUSA Seneta Harza, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hartz, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hillberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfield, Attorney Mark Garagos, President ETI Professional Service, Susan Holland, and Samuel K. Thurman, traitor who lied to the prosecutor to help convict these six men. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now, justice has gone missing and lays in the streets of America. It is time that justice be found for these six men. Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you to our production team, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson, helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the control room to make sure you hear what it is that we have to say. Also to our production support team, thank you for offering us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to the listeners. And to the truth, we know you're out there, and we appreciate it. And thank you. And ladies and gentlemen of America, sleep tight. Enjoy your night as AJC Radio continues daily to bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. Um, I should state for the record that I am the duly 
elected representative of Puerto Rico in this Congress. And even though not everybody in Puerto Rico voted for me, when I raise my voice on the floor of the House or at this hearing, I am speaking for the people of Puerto Rico. So the notion that the people of Puerto Rico are not being heard in Congress or by this committee is wrong. I do appreciate when my fellow Puerto Ricans um, who are actually voting members in this Congress come to assist me. And, and I know that they identify themselves with my constituents. But let's not lose sight of that fact. Uh, I vouch for the fact that Chairman Bishop has been working closely with me, and I look forward to continuing to work closely with Chairman Bishop so we come up with adequate bipartisan legislation to deal with this crisis. Having said that, I am very concerned, um, Mr. Weiss, about the impending defaults, either in May, looks definitely, definitely like in July. What, are, what is Treasury doing to encourage either creditors, well, encourage creditors to provide necessary short-term financing or necessary forbearance so that Puerto Rico doesn't go there? Over a cliff. Yes. We're deeply concerned with the same payments. 